Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Genesis 45, verse 4. They just got it. Genesis chapter 45, verse 4. It'll be up on the screen. Why would God allow such difficulty in somebody's life? Why would God allow sickness for an extended period of time? Why would God allow divorce? Why would God allow a loss of a loved one? I know a righteous man's steps are ordered by the Lord, right, Analdi? But what happens when your steps are ordered in a pit? What happens when your steps are ordered into a season of pain that you can't get out? And no matter how much you fast, no matter how much you try to cast it out, the pain remains the same. What do you do? In the story of Joseph found in chapter 45, he's speaking to his brothers that he hasn't seen in over 20 years. His brothers sold him into slavery. They threw him in a pit, sold him to a group of Ishmaelite traders, and sent him off. For all, as far as they knew, Joseph was dead. And so this is, in Genesis chapter 45, this is Joseph revealing to his brothers who he is. They can't recognize him. Isn't it funny how God can bring you out of season of pain and bless you so much that the people that once knew you won't recognize you anymore? He says, come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. He was telling them, come closer because they couldn't recognize him. He says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Next verse. Next verse, Zachary. If we're going to do King James Version, we can do New King James. It says, Joseph called, the, I'm sorry, let's go to 45 here. He says, but don't feel badly, verse 5. Don't blame it on yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. Somebody say, God sent me here. It's amazing How God will use the people that seem to hurt you in order to fulfill his purpose in your life. If you trace back any seed of pain in your life, I say it like this, PowerPoint number one, it says the fruit of your destiny can always be traced back to a seed of pain. If you interview or you do a biography lookup on any major man or woman of God or anybody who just is simply doing big things in life, it will always be traced back to a season of pain and agony because success doesn't come easily. Triumph doesn't come easily. Pastor George said it last week that you can't even spell testimony without the word test. And you have to get through the test and pass the test if you're going to get into your destiny. Can somebody say amen to that? Now, Joseph, what's not described in this verse is that his own brothers, the people who loved him the most, sold him into Egypt, sold him into slavery. But in this particular verse, which is 20 years later, Joseph was the governor of all of Egypt. When he walked the streets, the men squared their shoulders and straightened their backs. The little boys looked up to him and admired him and idolized him even maybe. The little girls giggled. The women batted their eyes at Joseph. The Bible says he was handsome in form. As a matter of fact, he was so handsome that Potiphar's wife, which is one of the other men who were in command in Egypt, lusted after Joseph and tried to sleep with Joseph. Joseph wasn't just outwardly accomplished. He had climbed to the pinnacle of success. But Joseph didn't climb in by pulling other people down or stepping on people like his brother had done. And that's what some people will do to you. When some people see you rising to the top, there's something in us that wants to pull them down. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Joseph was powerful. When Joseph gave the word and snapped his fingers, he could have someone beheaded just like that by the snap of his finger or the bat of his eyes. Joseph was powerful. He was mighty. But if Joseph would have refused the pit, he would have never entered into the palace. 
You can never enter your, prom, enter into your promised land until you're willing to go through a season of pain that God uses to prepare for you for your destiny. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 through 18. Is everybody okay? Y'all looking serious. It's about to get real serious. I see my aunt here all the way from North Carolina. I'm so grateful to see your face. It's a surprise and a gift to me. She didn't tell me she was coming. I love you. Thank you for coming. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Everybody there? It says, for our light affliction, say light affliction. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. Say, it's working for me. A far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Sometimes God allows pain because he knows it will serve a greater purpose in your future. Yeah. Nobody knows the cost of your oil. As a matter of fact, the reason you're in church today is because something painfully provoked you to come to church. The church is a hospital. People don't come to church because everything is, is great. People don't come to church because they're tiptoeing through life's tulips and they are just downloaded with God's blessings. People show up to the house of the Lord when they need a word. When they're in a season of pain that they can't shake. When they've tried to pray and they've tried to fast and their circumstances isn't changing them. And they say, but if I can get to the house of the Lord and just get myself a word and get myself encouraged, I know that God will move on my behalf. You know, here's the crazy thing. Is that God knows the end at the very beginning. And here's the deceiving part about pain is you can feel pain and you can sense it, but you can't see purpose. And there's always a purpose for your pain. My title again is God's purpose for your pain. And I have a quick little picture. I wanted to show you guys of a piece of tapestry, Zach, a piece of tapestry. That looks like a hot mess, doesn't it? This is actually the back of tapestry. You know, it is really funny, but what's not funny is that most of our lives privately look like this mess. We lift our hands and we just praise the Lord and we, God is good all the time. We know the Christian lingo. We know what to say. Blessed and highly favored. How you doing, brother? Blessed and highly favored. God is good all the time, all the time. We know it. We quote it. We know how to say it. But what do you do? When your life is entangled. What do you do when you've tried everything that you know to do to untangle your life and your life looks like the back of this tapestry? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about God's purpose for your pain. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10 gives us an indication of what pain is used for. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. I must say, you'll never know why it happened. Or you never know, uh, excuse me, you'll never know what happened until you understand why it happened. Well, that's good, sis. You heard that? You'll never understand why God allowed that to happen until you're at the end of your destiny and say, well, I know why he left me because I would have never ended up here. I, I, if they would have never rejected me, if they would have always accepted me, I'd never. there's some people who've been rejected and come from other churches here, and if they had not, you would not be sitting in RCC today. There are some people that left you because God wanted to remove them to make room for the people of destiny who were supposed to enter into your life to provoke you and to get you into the place that God has called you to be. Now, one day, God's wanting you to, come to finally come to a place where you go knock on the door and say, thank you for rejecting me. Thank you for leaving me. Thank you for stealing from me. Thank you for calling me uh, all kinds of names and hurting me and breaking my heart into a thousand pieces because if it wasn't for you and God didn't use your lousy self, I would have never ended up in this place that I'm in. 
Hallelujah. Because God uses your enemies. He'll use painful circumstances. He'll use church hurt, and he will use divorce. I didn't say he would. Uh, he, he, he provokes divorce. God does not endorse divorce, but he will allow certain things and people to break your heart and to shift things because just like uh, Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for your good. And though you can't see the, how those puzzle pieces are all going to fit together at the end, just say, touch somebody and say, God's just working with the edges right now. Yeah, you can't see the picture right now, but he's just, he's putting the edges together. I grew up watching my mother glue puzzle pieces and she still does. And she just gets these 2,000 pieces of puzzles. I don't even know how she does them, but she always starts with the edges. You can't see the picture now, but say, God's working with my edges. Yeah, yeah, he's working on the picture. You just, you just see the edges. You can't see what he's doing, but he's working out all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Amen. Second Corinthians, I'm trying. Second Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry. Chapter Second Corinthians chapter 12. You're right. <laughs> Verse 7 through 10. And it says, least this is Paul. Paul who was stoned. And I ain't talking about that kind of stone. <laughs> Look at y'all. Y'all need to get saved. He, <laughs> he was stoned three times. Whipped with many stripes. Beaten 39 times. Shipwrecked. Look, she just got it. I'm in trouble when I get home. <laughs> Amen. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says, Least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Was given to him. A messenger of Satan, it says. Is that what it says? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I should be exalted above measure. And Kathy, you know what buffet means? It means to be beaten in the face, bruised, beaten. Hold on. You're telling me that God endorsed Satan to put a whipping on you? Why would he do that? Unless he would use the enemy to beat you into God's purposes. God will sometimes use the enemy. The children of the Red Sea went through the Red Sea, as I spoke earlier prophetically this morning. But sometimes God allows the enemy to chase you into the calling that God would have you to walk in. He sent a messenger of Satan to Paul, the apostle. I think he did it, number one, to humble him. But I think, number two, it was beating him into God's purposes. Have you ever felt beaten? Have you ever felt like I've done everything right? I have not only prayed and fasted, but I heard the word of God and I obeyed him into a beating. Though he slay me, Job said, yet I will praise him. Another version says, yet I will trust him. Do you trust God's beating? Do you trust God afflicting you in order to bring about the fruit. See, that's what it's all about. He hurts you to produce from you. Because unless a seed goes in the ground and dies, ooh, that hurts. Dying hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts to produce. But you can't produce until you hurt. Amen? So a messenger of Satan is sent to Paul because pain is meant to drive you to God, not away from him. Point number three, pain is meant to drive you to God, not away from him. Y'all ain't saying nothing. God even used Judas. Oh, he don't use the enemy? Oh, come on, talk to me. I only got one person talking to me. If it had not been for Judas, if it had not been for Judas, Jesus never would have been crucified. God in his all-knowing one of his 12s, honey, one of the 12 disciples, the core people, his right-hand man. He chose a deceiver because he knew if I get this deceiver in my circle, because I'm glad I have everybody who agrees with me. The 11 agreed with him. They helped him into his purpose, but no one helped him like Judas did. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You'll start looking at your Judas a little bit different. You'll start looking at your job a little bit different. If you look and see the people who are hurting you and, and, and you're like, oh, Lord, you ain't really praying for him. You're like, Lord, slay them, Lord. Lord, get me a different job. But if you really knew how God used the powers of darkness and how the, how the Lord uses the enemy strategically to push you into your purpose, you'll start praying for him and you'll start thanking him and say, thank God for Shirley. She, she talks mess about me every day. She goes to the boss and talks about me. She's behind my back. I can't believe her. I can't believe them. They rejected me. You'll start thanking your enemies because you'll understand that, hey, God is working this pain out for my good. God is using these people to strategically help me to enter my destiny because God uses your pain on purpose. There's purpose for your pit. There's purpose for your pit. Go to John chapter 15, verse 1. I feel led to say this. If, if you're in pain as a result of your sin or mistakes, that's one thing. But if, you're, if your obedience have left you desolate and in pain, then it's orchestrated by the Father. Because it's God's way of dealing with the human heart and humanity. It's the way that he deals with us to help us enter into the calling that he's called us to. Amen? Look at somebody and say, you were supposed to lose it. He was supposed to leave you. You were supposed to leave him. Your pain is on purpose. It's on purpose. John chapter 15, verse 1. Somebody must have lost somebody recently. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Another version says husbandman. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Even environmentalists will tell you they physically go set forest fires. Did you know that? They intentionally do it. And why is that? Because they do it because the dead stuff inside the forest keeps new things from growing. And the reason why you see your life seems like everything is in shambles and everything is on fire is because God is removing the things that don't belong. He's removing the dead things so that he can provoke growth in your life. Yeah, yeah. So, so he says, I will prune you. Do you know what prune means? It means he cut you. So he didn't just send the enemy to beat the life out of you. He's also cutting things out of your life that don't belong and cutting doesn't feel good as a matter of fact it feels really bad and it feels really bad because sometimes growth hurts my man over there in the back right his name is tj he's been going to the gym lost like 20 pounds and i'm, I'm sure he's been hitting it hard but but you know results don't come overnight results come through pain and anguish and lifting weights and running and sweating it's pain that causes growth and so god's way of causing you to produce fruit is putting you through a painful process so that you can produce for his glory. Amen. And, and just a kind of little footnote, just a footnote, the fruit's not for you. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I just call you to produce, but the fruit is not for you. Stop eating your fruit. The fruit is so that the enemy, when he, you, you know, when in Psalms 23, it says, I prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's preparing a table before you, not to, so you can feast so that the, so that even your enemies can come and pick the tree and eat your fruit and see, man, if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, I don't know where you would be. You should not be where you are now. I don't know how God made this ugly thing in your life or allowed this, this tragedy in your life to work out for your good. And this is how people come to know the Lord is by seeing you going through a painful process and coming out on the other side with more fruit than you had when you went in. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Give God a shout. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. There's purpose for your pain. There's purpose. Somebody say there's purpose. So we know the environmentalists set these, they call them, they call them, they call them pyros. I believe they go in with this flamethrower and they burn the forest to provoke this growth. And it's amazing what growth comes after the fire. I thought about last night, I was like 11 o'clock at night. I think it popped up in my head or maybe it was a few days before. How many remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? 
Jesus had never been physically revealed to them before the fire. It's amazing how God shows up when you're in the fire. And as they were thrown in the fire, the king said, I see another one in there. There's a fourth man in the fire, and he has the appearance as to the son of man. Sometimes God puts you in the fire just so he can get in there with you and let you know, let you know that he's near you. And as a matter of fact, when they came out, it says not one hair on their hair was burned. They didn't even have the smell of smoke. Hear me. If you decide to go through this season of pain that will ultimately pr propel you into your destiny, you will not look like or smell like what you came out of. You will not. They won't even be able to tell how you made it out. They, don't, they won't understand. They will say, I don't know how she kept herself in her right mind, but they will say only the Lord could do something like that with her. Only the Lord could have done something that with, like that with him. I don't know how you kept your peace of mind. I don't know how you kept it together. Girl, how did you keep paying your bills? You, you hardly had a job. You barely made ends meet, but God seems to just multiply what little you have, and all you have to do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other and say like Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Keep giving, keep praying, keep seeking the Lord, keep going through the process of pain because I promise you, God will see you on the other side. Can somebody say amen to that? Yes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, now, no chastening. Chastening means beating. Some of y'all know about that who grew up in the 90s. Yeah, because these days we don't beat our kids. They call the cops and, you know, you go to jail. But there used to be chastening. Right? Amen? There used to be chastening, beating. Super spiritual word. Amen? Y'all can take me to jail. Just kidding. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Somebody say painful. Nevertheless, afterward. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Pain is used to train. It's training you. Pain is used to train. You should write that down. If Joseph would have refused the pit, he never would have walked into the palace. He never would have stepped foot. If he refused the training ground, pain is used to train. It's God's tool to work on you. Pain for training. It's amazing the tools that God uses. He'll use your spouse. I ain't looking at nobody. I'm not trying to get in trouble. I'm not looking at y'all. It's amazing the tools that God uses to humble you. If you always had your bills met on time, you talked about bills and you never went without, it's amazing if they were always on time, you would have no reason to trust God. Here's the word of the Lord. God will never create a lifestyle for you whereby you don't need him. Just to save you a couple prayers. He's always going to create a thorn in your life so that you remain in a place where you're prostrate and you say, God, if you can't do this, if you don't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do. It puts you in a position where you constantly rely on the Father to meet your need. And it's emotional sometimes. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's marital. But God will sometimes leave the thorn because he knows it'll yield fruit. But he uses the pain. He uses the suffering. He uses the thorn. He uses the lack of finances. He uses the strife in the marriage. He uses the, 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 the gossip behind your back. He uses the people that are hurting you the most to train you and prepare you you for his purpose. There's a guy by the name of Graham Cook. Anybody know who Graham Cook is? He's awesome. He's an awesome prophetic man. And I was listening to one of his teachings. Uh, it's actually just about a nine or ten minute video. And it was about, uh, the theme was called the Three Stooges. I thought that was pretty funny, the Three Stooges. And he says he was at um, an event and he was always getting 
you know, there's controversy over his ministry because the prophetic tends to bring a little bit of controversy. And um, he said for years there were these three men that would sit on the front row and watch him preach and watch him at these conferences. And they would bring out their new pens and their paper and their notepad and they were taking notes. Unbeknownst to him, they were making notes to slander him, to destroy his ministry. They would hold up these billboards letting the people know, you know, he's a deceiver. You know, don't listen to him. Don't, don't, don't go to his ministry. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a heretic. You know, you got to be careful. This guy is, is a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Just slander, slander. And years and years went by. And he said he began to pray for these men. Not good prayers. He said, Lord, send them home early. Kill them. Have somebody poison them. I hope they die, Lord. You know, they're, they're doing your prophets harm. It says, do not, you know, do my prophets no harm. Touch not my anointed. So he had all these scripture references to validate sending them to heaven early. Until one day he had a dream. And in this dream, he was sitting on the father's lap. And as he was sitting on the father's lap, the father puts this huge piece of granite square big, thousands of pounds. And the father says to him, talking about Father God, and he says, look at this slab of granite. And Graham Cook says, it's beautiful, Father. What, what is it? And he says, it's you. And he says, you want to see what I can make out of it? And he says, sure. And he said, these three artisans came out from behind this. And they begin to use their tools to begin to shape this big block of granite. And as they begin to shape it, he said they were going really slow. And the father says to Graham Cook, they will do better if you encourage them. They will move faster if you encourage them. Pray for them. Five minutes gone by and Graham Cook, he says he's standing with one leg on the father's knee and the other one holding his head. And he's shouting at these three artisans, keep going, bless you, blessings upon you. Look how awesome you are. And he's encouraging them. And as he's encouraging them, they're speeding up and they're really making the sculpt. They're sculpturing something, something gorgeous. And as he's continuing to encourage them, they finally get done with this big block of granite. And after he's done, you know what it's shaped into? himself, but a beautiful version of himself, of Graham Cook. And Graham says to him, Father, why would you do something like that? Who was it who did it? And the three artisans come from around the corner, and it was the three stooges. The enemies that you're praying for God to remove from your life are the ones who are shaping your life. And if you would get God's perspective, not only would you pray for them, you would encourage them. You would say, keep doing what you're doing because I know that by you talking about me the way that you are, by you rejecting me the way that you did, by you leaving me the way that you did, you're shaping me into God's image. And that's exactly what the enemy is doing. God uses your, even your own enemy to shape you into the likeness of Christ. And though you may look like a slab of block right now, just start encouraging your enemies. Say, thank you, Lord, for this pain that I'm going through. Thank you, for, thank you for allowing me to go through that season of pain. Because if it had not been for that season of pain, if it had not been for that season of separation, if it had not been for that job loss, if it had not been for that spouse even leaving me, come on, y'all ain't talking to me. If it had not been for me not being able to pay my bills, Lord, I would have been the same as I used to be. But God wants you to go from glory to glory, from faith to faith. He wants you to to grow into the likeness of his image. And the way that you grow into the likeness of his Im image is allow the painful process to take its toll. Is to allow your enemies to begin to shape you and mold you into what God wants you to be. Pray for the Judas in your life. Come on, somebody say, pray for the Judas in your life. Pray for the Judas in your life. Yeah. If we could simply, if you could put that tapestry up on the screen. If we could simply see beyond the mess, even the mess that other people have created. Sometimes your mess wasn't your fault. Sometimes it may be others. 
But if you could look beyond the tangledness, the brokenness, that divorce, that job loss, that loss of your loved one, if you could look beyond the mess of the tapestry of your life, you'd begin to be able to see the sweetness and the gentleness and the love in regards to the pain that God uses. And you begin to pray, finish what you've started, Lord. Though you slay me, I will yet trust me, trust you. You know what David said? Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Sometimes it's God afflictions that keep you close to his heart. If God would bless some of you, you would stop coming to church. Woo! Sometimes your afflictions keep you in God's word. Sometimes your afflictions will keep you praying. Sometimes your afflictions will cause you to keep fasting and keep you on your knees until you got no hair left on your knees. Sometimes your pain is used to propel you to God instead of chasing you away from God. Come on, some of y'all just can't even handle the blessing. Look at somebody and say, you can't handle God's blessing. You can't, no, you can't handle God's blessing. Sometimes God refuses and holds back his hand of blessing because he knows you'll backslide. And here's the thing about pain is pain is a long drawn out process because he knows if you allow yourself to go through the season of pain, he'll make you ready for his promise. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you get it, you'll figure it out that she didn't do it. He didn't do it. That job didn't do it. My money didn't do it. And you'll stay faithful to the Lord and you will not allow the blessing to be a curse. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yes. God uses pain to train. Somebody say, God uses pain to train. Yes, Joseph prepared, was prepared by the pit. Now, I don't know if you know this whole story about Joseph. But Joseph was loved more than any of his other brothers, Joy. He was loved. He was the favored one. He was the young one, the beautiful, blue-eyed, blonde hair. I wish I had blonde hair. My daddy had blonde hair. I don't know why I got brown hair and brown eyes. I don't know where that, what happened. But Joseph was uh, uh, beautiful in form, they say. And they hated Joseph for his dreams. They threw him in a pit because of his dreams. Be careful who you tell your dreams to. Footnote. Be careful who you tell your aspirations to. Because it could be the person on your row that sends you into a pit. Keep it to yourself. Somebody say, keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Only tell those who are worthy of your dream. So he told a dream that their sheaves would be bowing down to him. In other words, he told him a dream that he had that his older brothers would be serving him. And as a result, they sold him into slavery. They conspired to kill him. They're flesh and blood. It's amazing how God uses those closest to you to hurt you the most. The people you trusted the most. The people you've loved the most. But if you can get a picture on how God used them as tools, my niece calls handsome guys tools, but God uses tools, the enemy, the enemy. That was funny, wasn't it? Some of y'all didn't get it. Y'all older folks didn't get it. Y'all are straight faced like, I don't know what that is. If you're 20 and younger, you would know. I'm only 32, but I have a 15-year-old. So He goes from the pit, and then he goes to a slave block and is bought for 20 shekels of silver. And then he's made captain over Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's house. Potiphar was in charge of a regiment. He was in charge of an army. He was the, one of the third most powerful men in Egypt at that time. So Joseph got promoted and overseen his house. The Bible says that, that, that Potiphar didn't even know which he ate. He didn't even know the money he had in his bank. I mean, Joseph did everything, kept the money, kept the fields, took care of the servants, did everything, doing everything right. And yet, in the midst of doing everything right, he goes to prison because Potiphar's wife couldn't keep his hands off, her hands off of Joseph. Have you ever done the right thing and still end up in the wrong direction? Well... I want to preach on that one. Have you ever obeyed God's voice and end up in the wrong place? 
Have you ever did the integrous thing and still end up going backwards? He didn't just go back to prison. Now, that's got to be really hurtful because Joseph had already spent a season of pain as being a slave, then going to Potiphar's house, and then he goes back to prison. Have you ever made three steps and gone back four? I thought we went from glory to glory. And you know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me? There's always a valley between two mountain peaks. Yes, yeah, you're just on your way to the mountain peak. So, and here's the other thing, Rady. Streams don't exist on the mountaintop. Oh, sis, that's good. That's good stuff. Streams do not exist on the mountaintop. Streams represent the move of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it funny how when you're in the glory cloud and you're on top of the mountain, how everything is going good, but you're like, where is God? You may not feel that there's a necessity for God, but on the mountaintop, where is his presence? It's in the valley of despair where you find the sweetness of God's presence. Have you ever taken all those steps only to find yourself worse off than where you began? Footnote, your worst day as a Christian is better than your best day as an unbeliever. Yeah, yeah, come on. Come on, that's good. You're just between two mountaintops right now. You're just, God can see the mountaintop. Maybe you can't, but you feel like you've taken four steps back when you've made three steps forward. But God is just saying, you're just in between transition. You're just, you're just fighting the lions and the tigers and the bears in order to get to your destiny. Because if you ever see, we always talk about Goliath being defeated by David. But we don't talk about, talk about him beating the lion and the bear with his bare hands. This is so good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God is teaching you to sharpen your aim. He practiced on the lion and the bear before he ever fought Goliath. So you're just in transition. So while he was tending sheep, while he was tending sheep, God was calling him a prince. I mean, he was going to be the king over all of Israel at that time, but he's practicing his throw. So when you're in the valley, you're just practicing. Somebody look at somebody and say, you're just practicing. Yeah, you're practicing for greatness. You're practicing becoming the king that God's called you to be. And he's honing your aim and he's practicing the aim because he's preparing you. What is he preparing you for? He's preparing you for your Goliath. But you can't fight Goliath until you've been trained and until you've honed in your aim. Because Goliath's a lot harder than, to fight than the lion and the bear. And that's why we go from glory to glory. Because the Bible says God doesn't give you more than you can bear. So don't be frustrated. Don't be frustrated that you're having to fight a lion and a bear. Because trust me, your Goliath is coming. But you're just not ready. You're not ready, the Holy Spirit says. You're not ready for your Goliath. So as you're practicing, pretend he's a Goliath. Amen? Keep practicing. Somebody say, keep practicing. Keep practicing. Because once you graduate beating the lion and the bear with your little old sling, little rusty sling, there's little stones, he will upgrade your weaponry into a sword. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want to know how to beat Goliath? The sword. And if you're faithful with your sling, if you're faithful with beating the bear, if you're faithful with beating the lion, God will upgrade your weaponry. I know it's painful. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But if you're faithful with your sling and your little five stones, and also, by the way, you know what five represents? It's the number of grace. That means the power to do what God's truth requires you to do. So if you just rest in his grace, he will get more done and accomplished with you resting in him than you can in your own abilities. So as you're resting, just rest in his grace, knowing that Goliath will come. And when he comes, comes, trust me, all that practicing is going to get you ready to ha handle that big old heavy sword so you can chop Goliath's head off so you can enter into your destiny, enter into the promised land that God has called you to. Amen. Can somebody shout and say amen to that? Hallelujah. Yes. Pain prepares you. Pain prepares you. Number six. 
Pain prepares you for his promise. Yeah, there's a promise over your life. You know what the Bible says? And John, don't go there. Don't go there. It says that the enemy attacked for the word's sake. There's some attacks that come because of what's in you. Yeah. It's because of what you're carrying. The greater the difficulty, the greater the task at hand, the more painful it is, the greater the purpose. But pain always prepares you for his promise. Go to Genesis 41, verse 50. Genesis, everybody okay? Everybody getting something? Amen. Genesis chapter 41. Okay, I'm going to begin reading for the sake of time. And it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two years. Now, this is after Joseph had been through Potiphar's house. He had already been to prison. He had now been promoted as the second most powerful man in the world in all of Egypt over Pharaoh. Pharaoh even said, uh, the only thing I'm withholding from you is my throne. In other words, this guy was powerful. He was bad. Somebody say he was bad. He was bad. But here's his promise. Verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by a river. Nope, I'm at the wrong one. Sorry, Genesis 41, let me see here. Verse 50, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine. Say two sons. Sons represent promises. Somebody say promises. Whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharia, priest of On, go ahead and say that five times fast, bore two sons to him. Joseph called the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. Verse 52, the name of his second son he called Ephraim, for God has called me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. What would people say about you if they saw you before their very own eyes prosper in the midst of the hell that you're going through? The painful process always prepares you for his promise. You should write that down. Pain prepares you for the promise. The greater the affliction, the greater the destiny, Danny, the more life hurts you, the more it prepares you for greatness. I've always wondered why my schedule has always been so crazy when I never really looked for it until I began to embrace what I used to reject. And if you begin to embrace what God is doing as far as the pressure goes, God will propel you. He will launch you into your destiny. If Joseph would have refused, he never would have ended up with his promises. He never would have had the children that he named Manasseh or Ephraim. If he had refused the pit, he could have complained, God, I don't deserve this. I'm a man of God. Have you ever said that? Y'all looking at me funny. I know you have. I'm a man of God. I shouldn't be going through this. This sickness shouldn't be overtaking my body. My back shouldn't be hurting the way that it is. My marriage shouldn't have the difficulty that it's going through. I'm a man of God. It's amazing how many people are ashamed of what God is doing with them behind closed doors. See, I'm country. There's an old song that says, when we get behind closed doors. Now, it's not, not about that. I'm talking about what God is doing behind closed doors. When we get behind. Y'all know that song. When you get behind closed doors, are you ashamed of what God is dealing with you on privately? It's amazing what kind of work God does with you privately. I know that all these people around you, they see you as the worship leader. You're a woman of God. You're a man of God. But when you get home, are you afraid of the tools that God is using in your life to prepare you for his promises? Is it that marriage? Is it that sickness? Is that lack of peace that surpasses all understanding? God is good all the time, but sometimes it doesn't feel good, does it? But the pain prepares you for your promise. Amen? I want everybody to stand with me.
we're going to put it up on the screen. It's Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Verse 32. You don't have to go there as you're standing. Mark chapter 14. Verse 32. Everybody see it up on the screen? Then they came to a place which is called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Next verse. And he took Peter, James, and John. Sometimes you just got to bring your core with you. You just got to know who to keep out of your circle in your pain. There's only, you only need a few. Don't bring everybody there with you. Amen. And he began to be troubled deeply and distressed. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he became so distressed, I think it's called corpuscles, that his skin began to burst and his sweat became dro like drops of blood. And he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, which is Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Last point. If you refuse to drink the cup, you can't have the crown. If you refuse the process, you will abort your destiny. Do you know what Gethsemane means, Sam? Joy. You know what Gethsemane means? It means the place where the olive is crushed. Nobody knows the cost of the oil. Everybody wants to be anointed. Everybody wants to be used by God. But are you willing to be crushed? If we could dim the lights as we have the worship leaders come up here. Do you remember that tapestry? This is the back of the tapestry. It's all intertwined, all tangled. We're looking at it from the backside. My challenge to you is don't look at your circumstances from the backside. My prayer for you this morning is that you'll begin to get heaven's perspective. Because what you see is tangled, torn, bruised, broken, and helpless is God simply working on your crown. Because pain always propels you into your destiny. It's the crushings of life. Gethsemane. What's your Gethsemane this morning? Jesus sweated out. Sometimes God's not going to get you out right away. Sometimes your attitude may change it and God may get you out. But sometimes... You have to sweat it out. Somebody say sweat it out. Close your eyes. What's your Gethsemane this morning? What is that thing that leaves you bruised and leaves you broken and hurting? What prayer is it that you're praying to be delivered from? Could it be that very prayer that you're praying to be delivered from be the very tool that God is using to do something greater in you than you ever dreamed of? Could you be asking deliverance from the very chisel and hammer that God is using to develop you? Holy Spirit, have your way in this place this morning. Help us to be willing to drink of the cup of suffering so that we would be crowned faithful. Help us to be faithful in the pain because I know if we are faithful in the pain, you will reward us with a crown. 
And we know that we're not worthy of the crown until we're willing to embrace the process of the pain that you've allowed. We know, Holy Spirit, that this wouldn't be happening in our life if it had not been passed through the corridors of heaven first. We know you've allowed it, Master. You may have not have ordained it. You may have not have caused it to happen. But indeed, you've allowed this to happen for our good. And you said in your word that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. How many need joy in the midst of their suffering this morning? Lift your hands to heaven. And as we play softly, as the wave crashes over me, just let the refreshing presence of the Lord to wash over you this morning, to give you strength for this journey, to give you strength to get through this valley that's between two mountain peaks. Father, strengthen your people. Impart your grace into your people. Give them strength to face another day. Give them strength to face this mountain. Your word says, if you would speak it with your mouth and believe in your heart that this mountain would be removed, it would be cast into the sea. But if we're praying and it's not moving, would you help us to be satisfied with climbing this mountain and getting us to the place where you've called us to be? As your wave crashes us over this crashes over us this morning, we thank you for the refreshing power of your Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you say, my pain is self-inflicted, this is not something that's been orchestrated by heaven. This has been something that's been orchestrated by my own disobedience, by me running from the Lord. I want you to slip up your hand. If you're here this morning and simply say, I need the Holy Spirit to refresh me with the wind of his presence, I want you to make your way to this altar. I want you to come up. I want you to simply receive the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit. Just simply lift up your hands. If you don't feel comfortable coming up, just simply lift up your hands and allow the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit to just fill you. Father, we thank you for a fresh touch this morning. We thank you for grace. We thank you for helping us to embrace what you're allowing in our lives to develop us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to equip us for this journey. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you right now. Thank you for touching your people. In Jesus' mighty name. And as we lift our hands and just worship, just worship and allow the Lord to minister to you. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.